The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. After the headlines today, I interview Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County and Lindsey Carlson, president of the Heart of LA Democratic Club. Here are some headlines from this morning and over the weekend. According to BBC's latest poll of polls, Vice President Joe Biden leads Donald Trump by 7%, Biden at 50% to Trump's 43%. The BBC poll of polls looks at the individual national polls from the last 14 days and creates trend lines using the median value. According to BBC, the states that will determine the elections are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Virginia, and Wisconsin. There are 37 days left until the election. Voting is already underway in nine states, which are Alabama, Vermont, Minnesota, South Dakota, Virginia, Wyoming, Illinois, Michigan, and Missouri. The latest on the Supreme Court justice nomination. 237 days remain from President Obama's presidency, which is almost eight months Yet Senate Republicans under Mitch McConnell blocked President Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland, declaring that a Supreme Court justice should not be confirmed during an election year. Nonetheless, Trump, McConnell, and Lindsey Graham are rushing to confirm a new justice only 37 days until November 3rd, with nine states already voting. Amy Corney Barrett, Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court to replace Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has had a very bad track record for LGBT rights, women's rights, including a woman's right to their own reproductive organs, and the Affordable Care Act. But also, Barrett is an arch-conservative who has um, some troubling views about the intersection of her personal beliefs with her role as a judge, and who will fundamentally alter the American legal landscape on a number of issues. She once questioned the court's landmark ruling on marriage equality. Also concerning LGBTQ advocates is that Barrett, who is Catholic, signed a letter in 2015 addressed to Catholic bishops that detailed her personal beliefs and that included a statement about marriage and family founded on the commitment of a man and a woman. During a Jacksonville University lecture, Barrett deployed language suggesting an adversarial stance toward trans issues by misgendering transgender women, calling them physiological males. On international news, the republics of Armenia and Artsakh have declared martial law after officials say Azeri forces launched a deadly large-scale attack along the entire line of contact. Azerbaijan and Turkey have taken advantage of the global pandemic and the U.S. being preoccupied with the election to attack Artsakh and Armenia and kill civilians. As far as COVID-19 numbers, so far the U.S. has had 204,000 people die from COVID-19. 
In California, 15,586,000 people have died. In LA County, that number is 6,504. And worldwide, there have been 995,000 people who have died from the coronavirus. For the most accurate coronavirus reports and numbers, please visit the websites of the CDC, World Health Organization, and the Johns Hopkins University. The following are states where the Senate can turn blue. Um, they're tight races. Starting with South Carolina, the incumbent is, of course, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham and uh, being challenged by Democrat Jamie Harrison, who has a very good chance of winning. In Maine, uh, the incumbent is Republican Senator Susan Collins, who voted to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, and her challenger is Sarah Gideon, who is a Maine State House Speaker. Then there's Georgia, with the incumbent being Republican Senator David Perdue uh, against Democrat John Ossoff. In Iowa, there is, well, the incumbent is Republican Senator Joni Ernst and against uh, Democrat Teresa Greenfield. And North Carolina, uh, incumbent is Republican Senator Tom Tillis against former state uh, Senator Cal Cunningham. As far as voting, so election day, if you don't know already, is uh, November 3rd. The deadline to register online to vote is Monday, October 19th. The deadline for registering by mail to vote, postmarked by Monday, October 19th. The deadline to register in person to vote is Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day. The early voting period runs from Monday, October 5th through Monday, November 2nd, but dates and hours may vary based on where you live. You can also register and vote on Election Day. Uh, for more information, if you live in California, go to registertovote.ca.gov, or if you are anywhere in the States or worldwide, you can go to vote.org. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to talk about what Trump is doing, uh, knowing that he could possibly lose the election. Uh, he is trying to create chaos and make people question the validity of the election so that in case he loses, he can then get his base to um, rise up, I suppose, and say that it was not a legitimate election, which is uh, ironic and sad because that's exactly what he's trying to do himself, which is to rig the election and to make sure that there's voter suppression from Democrats having hired DeJoy uh, at U.S. Postal Service, who's been really sabotaging the Postal Service and, um, and various other things that are being done to suppress the vote and make sure that Democrats, as many as possible, uh, cannot vote or their vote is invalidated. And I think we need to vote early. Uh, we need to speak up and hold them accountable. Uh, and really, just all of us be very vigilant about what is happening with this, and especially in the, the toss-up states or the states that are uh, the most important um, as we go to the polls on November 3rd. So if you're voting by mail, do it as soon as you get your ballot, uh, mail it in, and, uh, and don't wait and talk about it. And we need to expose this as much as possible and be very blunt about it. Let's get blunt. 
The Blunt Post with Vic. Congressman Harley Ruda was elected to Congress in 2018 after a historic campaign in Orange County, California. It was the very first political campaign of his life. Congressman Ruda is a member of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, the Chair of Subcommittee on Environment, and on the Subcommittees on National Security. He is also a member of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and Subcommittees on Highways and Transit, as well as Water Resources and Environment. Congressman, how are you? Good. How have you been? I'm well. Good to hear from you. Thank you for... Um, Glad to be with you again. Yeah. Thank you for being you know, on the show. It's so close to the election, and um, I wanted to touch what base you with you. Now, 38, is it 38 days? Um, I'm not even counting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, you know, this is time we all sort of go to third gear and do everything that we can. So right. um, I wanted to see how you're doing. How are things with your campaign and all that's happening right now as of today? So right now we are in another toss-up battle just like we were in 2018 against Russia's favorite congressman, Dana Rohrabacher. My right. current opponent, Michelle Steele, who chairs the Orange County Board of Supervisors, is number one nationally among Republican challengers in money raised and number one among Republican challengers in money received from the NRCC. So they're going after this seat with everything they've got, and uh, it's going to take everyone's help to make sure we hold on to this seat. Absolutely. Of course, in 2018, you beat your um, incumbent, who was a 15-term Republican. So I think the the people, our listeners, should should know that we should remind people uh, of the faith that people that voters had um, on you, Orange County voters, in 2018, and that's still there. But of course, um, with Michelle Steele getting so much uh, donations, it's and there's a challenge, obviously. Yeah, Vic, you're you're absolutely right, and you know, this was a team effort in 2018, knocking off a 30-year incumbent was historical and we had 8,000 volunteers uh, helping out as we approached the general. And and, and it's a a clear reminder of how you can make a difference by being involved in campaigns, by giving your time, uh, giving your talents and giving your your treasures through contributions can make a difference. And with democracy at stake in this election, and I truly believe that, I truly believe Every day with this president, we are taking one step closer to fascism. It's so important that everybody be all engaged and all in 100%. Indeed. And that's one of the things I really like about you is you don't mince words. You don't um, sugarcoat anything. Democracy is at stake. It's, you know, we've said this over and over again since year 2000, which was Gore versus Bush, that this is the election of our lifetime. But forget about all those. This is the election of our lifetime. And stakes are so high. And we can't just win or think that we're going to win. We have to win with a large margin. And that's not just the the White House, but all the congressional seats, including yours. And, um, you know, I hope that people listening will go to your website and donate and if you can't volunteer, even doing social media and supporting uh, Congressman Ruda is help. All the impressions and all the um, exposure, you know, remind people that Congressman Ruda 
beat his incumbent of 30 years in a heavily Republican county. And, you know, we need to keep that momentum. We do. I, I remember in my campaign last time as we were getting closer to the general, uh, had the opportunity to be with President Obama, who was doing a, a rally for us. And he told the audience because it was the most important election at that time in our lifetime, 2018. And, and just for a second, let's just think what we would be experiencing right now if we did not take back the House in 2018 and it was Republican controlled. So President Obama, in addressing the crowd, told everyone the last thing anyone in this room wants to do is wake up Wednesday morning and wonder what they could have done more to get the result they wanted. Don't take anything for granted. Don't take any chances. Put everything on the table now because so much is at stake. Absolutely. I've been saying the same thing. Don't, don't uh, wake up on, on the 4th and think and have regrets that you could have done more. Do it now. And, um, you know, I've been interviewing several leaders of Democratic organizations such as Westside Democratic Headquarters and Grassroots Democrats Headquarters and such. And they're all huge fans of yours. And uh, they're great groups. We, we are so appreciative of all of their help. Yeah. And, you know, recently you've been working so hard despite all of this and the fact that you, you have to campaign for for your position is you've led a bipartisan letter calling for lower prescription drugs. You know, some matters like that that seem to sort of get lost these days with so much happening. You know, you have uh, letters expressing concerns about long wait times at the Orange County Veterans Office or Veterans Services Office. Um, you have uh, you've done great things for Orange County in terms of COVID-19 and the impact it's had on first respondents. So um, how do you balance all of that? Well, Vic, I come from the business world and I'd never run for office before. And I think the most important thing for any successful company, organization or group is to surround yourself with great people. And I've got a great team in DC and in OC that work really hard. They're dedicated, they're incredibly intelligent. And I'm proud of the fact that uh, because of uh, their hard work and dedication and, and support for me, that I am the most legislatively productive freshman in Congress. And, yeah. you know, there's almost 100 new members in Congress. And uh, to, to be able to be that successful um, and, frankly, more successful than all but a handful of members in Congress is a testament to their dedication. And I'm also proud of the fact that, you know, my predecessor passed three bills in 30 years and we passed three measures into law in my first year. And you don't do that unless you're willing to work hard and willing to reach across the aisle and, and work with others to push forward important uh, legislation that serves our community and our country. Yeah, indeed. It is very impressive and you're very modest. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County, California. So what are sort of, let's just say, top three things, top three most pertinent issues um, facing you right now? I think for most Americans, most people want to get back to decency and something that feels more normal than what these last four years have felt like. Because it starts there. Our ability to address 
health care issues, climate change and environmental issues, uh, uh, making sure that uh, we're able to have a better infrastructure, better schools, uh, better opportunities for young people. All of this starts with really getting Joe Biden in office and hopefully taking the Senate in addition to holding on to the House. There's so much good work that we can get done if we have partners in the uh, in, in, the, in the White House and the Senate. And people are worn out. People are worn out with a president who is constantly creating unneeded issues, unneeded challenges, unneeded angst, and, and not providing the leadership and behavior we would expect from the highest office. So getting back to normal is what people want more than anything. Absolutely. Let me ask you about this, something that's really been on so many people's minds since uh, last Friday when Justice Ginsburg passed away. And, uh, you know, in 2016, President Obama was prevented from uh, nominating and confirming a Supreme Court justice, as Republicans told them, including uh, Senator McConnell, that it's an election year, although he had eight months left to his presidency. And yet, we're not just 30-something days to election. There are five states that I know of that are already in election. And yet, um, and there are you know, videos and audios and transcripts of Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham talking about not uh, confirming a Supreme Court justice on election year. And yet, they still go ahead and do what they want to do, which is... Egregious would be a very modest word for that. My question to you is, if for whatever reason we're unable to stop this and uh, President Trump gets to confirm just one more conservative on the Supreme Court, how do we process that? I mean, we know the ramifications of that. I think most people do. How do you deal with that, if you will? It's certainly frustrating, and, and let's just pause for one second and remember that Justice Ginsburg just died one week ago, a woman who her remarkable career affected women's rights perhaps more than any other individual ever in our history, and not just women's rights, but the rights of all. And you know, the day, the, the time when we found out that she had passed, uh, my, my wife and my daughter both had tears. Uh, running down their face because they knew how important and instrumental she was in their lives. And to see Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham just absolutely bold-faced lie to the American public when they would not allow Garland Merrick to be considered for the empty position from Scalia, my hope is that they pay the ultimate price. They pay the ultimate price at the ballot box. And um, I'm hopeful uh, not necessarily optimistic, but hopeful that in those two states that they get booted out. To answer your larger question, we have to remember that much of what conservative court justices, uh, the way they view things, is not so much necessarily against certain policies. They just don't think the Supreme Court should be creating a legislative policy. So if we want to, if we want to make Roe v. Wade the law of the land, then we should pass that legislatively. If they're gonna try and take it away from us, then we need to make it a federal law that women control their reproductive rights across the United States, period, once and for all. Uh, we need to do that, period, regardless of what happens with Roe v. Wade, because we are constantly seeing states chip away at women's rights to their bodies. Right. And it is time, and I am hopeful, 
that with a Biden administration and we take the Senate, that we pass meaningful legislation to preserve women's rights, LGBTQ rights, workers' rights in ways that cannot be diminished uh, state by state. Well said, a very good point for people to really remember that we, we do have, we're not powerless. I think you answered it brilliantly because you demonstrated that we're not powerless regardless of what happens. Yeah, Vic, we're not. Let's remember the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the law. And so the legislative chambers of the House and the Senate, with the president signing it or, or overriding a potential veto, we can create laws, laws that protect those who deserve to be protected. And the Supreme Court, uh, even a conservative Supreme Court, would be very challenged to overturn legislation that was done properly in the context of the Constitution. Excellent. Congressman Ruda, in terms of specific uh, issues uh, facing your constituents in your, in your district, what are some of the things that are on top of your agenda, if you will? Here in our district, it's not necessarily any different than what we see in other parts of the country. Healthcare is a huge issue, especially during this pandemic where people have so many concerns. Uh, also is the economic uh, situation created by first the pandemic and second by the lack of leadership of the Trump administration. It did not have to be this bad. Uh, we did not have to have 200,000 plus Americans dead at this time uh, with many more to follow because of this president. Uh, we here in Orange County, in my district and across our country, we did our job. We, we hunkered down. We uh, took the actions at the, the personal cost that we knew we had to do to serve our fellow citizens and, and take the patriotic challenge that we, we needed to do. Yet we haven't had leadership from a president who continually, continually diminishes science and diminishes the CDC, diminishes what needs to be done for us to get to a place where we can get back to a more normal society, a more better economic opportunity for businesses to open up. It's pretty simple. You practice physical distancing. You wear masks when you can't. You maintain good hygiene. And when you look at these Trump rallies and being led by the president, who also is defying the very guidance that the CDC has provided, again, based on science, shows why this situation, this pandemic has been made so much worse by clear lack of leadership. I think Joe Biden sums it up best. If when he's president come January, he'll do what should have been done at the very beginning, a national mask mandate, uh, testing, tracing and tracking and taking the bold leadership actions that need to be done to help drive this pandemic uh, out of our uh, out of our country. Absolutely. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County, California. Congressman Ruda, for 2021, you've gone over some of the major things that are facing the nation, which is not that different from your own district, but what are your top priorities for your district on your agenda in 2021 that for those that are not maybe familiar with your what's on your plate right now? The, the top thing I want to see happen in early 2021 
is an infrastructure bill. And let me tell you why. The legislation that we've passed so far for the pandemic, and I'm hopeful we're going to be passing a version of the HEROES Act in this coming week, these have all been relief bills uh, to provide relief for uh, frontline workers um, who are dealing with the pandemic and keeping our country safe and secure best they can, uh, providing support for hospitals, providing support for uh, employees who have lost their jobs, providing support for small businesses. That has been the primary jobs of these relief bills and also support for our schools who are, are also very challenged in, in trying to manage through this process. The next step after that is a fiscal stimulus bill. And the best legislation to accomplish that is a infrastructure bill. And the reason an infrastructure bill is, is so important is for a multitude of reasons. First, we have neglected infrastructure in our country for way too long. When we look at what is spent and what has been accomplished in the European Union and China and other countries, uh, we have fallen woefully behind in maintaining our infrastructure. Uh, second, infrastructure is a direct and significantly material proponent of what drives climate change. In other words, how we uh, source, build, and maintain our infrastructure has a direct correlation to climate change and also the reduction of CO2 emissions. So we can use infrastructure to help address climate change. And that's one of the things I'm most excited in accomplishing. And third, one of the things we've learned from this pandemic is that uh, long-term paradigm shifts have been accelerated. And three major ones that have been accelerated are teleworking, telemedicine, and teleeducation. And if you look at the impact, especially of teleeducation and telemedicine, the need to have consistent broadband across our country in all areas, including rural and urban, that are often underserved has become paramount. Because if you can't have adequate telelearning and ac via access to broadband, you're going to fall behind. That's the bottom line. And the last thing we need during this pandemic and going forward is leaving any kid behind because they don't have the tools to get an education and be successful. So I'm proud of the fact that the infrastructure bill we have passed in the House includes significant funding for broadband across the country. That is the first time I've heard anyone say that, anyone discuss that. And it's, it's so pleasing to hear it, that you're so progressive and you're thinking about, you know, it's like, as they say, embrace change and live life on life's terms. COVID-19 has forced us, or maybe not forced is not the right word, because it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's accelerated us as you used to really get used to uh, telelearning and telemedicine as well as working. And I've, uh, it's, it was my first time hearing an elected official discuss that on a broader, more important basis. It's exciting. Yeah, Vic, Vic, we have to look at broadband right now the way we looked at running water and electricity in previous generations. It is something that has to be available and accessible by everyone in our country. Yeah, that was a great example in terms of the importance of it. Congressman Ruda, before we part, do you have any call to action for listeners, your constituents? How can people get involved, donate to your campaign, and get more information? Hey, thanks, Vic. I appreciate that because we have a extremely tough election. This is a toss-up 
election, according to Politico, due in large part to the fact that my opponent is number one nationally among Republican challengers in money raised and number one among Republican challengers in money received from the NRCC. They're going after this seat hard. And because of the pandemic, the ability to utilize our uh, volunteer base as effectively as we did last time is challenged. It's challenged because they can't knock on doors the way they did in 2018. So if your listeners can go to Harley, H-A-R-L-E-Y, for F-O-R, Congress.com, HarleyforCongress.com, and make a contribution and sign up to uh, volunteer to make phone calls or text or write postcards. That would be awesome. Fantastic. I hope everyone does that. And a shout out to you on social media as well. Tell everyone the story of Congressman Harley Ruda, who's been fighting the good fight. And uh, we hope that you continue in 2021. Thank you, because you're fighting a good fight, too. And we need uh, patriotic folks like you who are fighting for our democracy to keep doing what you're doing. So we're grateful for everything you are doing. Uh, you as well. Thank you, Congressman, for your time. Hope to talk to you again very soon. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. That was Congressman Harley Ruda from Orange County, California. Thank you, Congressman, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. Appreciate your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. Lindsey Carlson is the president and co-founder of the Heart of LA Democratic Club, the first Los Angeles countywide Democratic Club with the primary purpose to elect feminist candidates and advocate for issues of importance to women. She is an appointed delegate to the California Democratic Party and an elected member of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party. She is originally from Minnesota and moved to L.A. to attend law school at UCLA. She currently works in private practice as internal counsel for a major international law firm and is a member of the Board of National Association of Women Lawyers. Hello, Lindsay. Welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. How are you today? I am well. Thank you for being on the show and for uh, sharing with us today all your wisdom and experience and uh, you being in the middle of it all and being the president of Heart of LA Democratic Club. So we'd like to hear from you. And uh, I want to start by just uh, with just a general question. Uh, since so much has happened, it's hard to sort of uh, it's hard to get a grasp on it sometimes, but as of today, uh, what is your general consensus and impression of where we are as a nation, politically and socially, and as we go on this road to November 3rd? Wow, yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think, you know, I think we're all pretty fired up, and it seems like we're pretty much in our corners here, and, um, you know, people have for the most part decided whether they're going to be supporting our country and our democracy, or they're going to be supporting Donald Trump and the march toward autocracy at this point. So I think, you know, for the most part, at least on the Democratic activist side, we're at a phase right now where we're just trying to get out our base, get out our supporters, educate those who may have been sitting on the sideline and, um, you know, try to have a really big showing up to and including November 3rd. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I love the fact that you used autocracy because it, it's so apropos uh, of what's happening, the lawlessness and the uh, just the incredible egregious crimes, because um, that's what they are, that have 
been committed by Trump and his cronies, this whole administration, for the last four years and continues to happen. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about LA, uh, the Heart of LA Democratic Club and what you guys do, and just in general, as well as your current, um, like any kind of a, a specific uh, projects that you're working on. Sure. Um, if you don't mind, I can give a little bit of a background as to sure. uh, who we are and how we came to be. Sure. Um, okay. So um, in January 2017, I ran to be a delegate to the California State Democratic Party, ended up winning that race. And along with a couple other folks that I ran with, we were trying to figure out what to do with our newfound power, um, you know, <laughs> as, as little as it might be, uh, being a state delegate among thousands of others. But one of my uh, friends suggested that we join Democratic clubs. And at the time I said, what's a democratic club. Also at that time, uh, I was looking at, you know, I mean, I was a very strong Hillary supporter in 2016 and had led a group of volunteers that swelled to about 3,500 of us by the time the get out the vote period actually started um, in you know late October, early November of 2016 and kind of felt this big gaping hole. Um, you know, I was sort of expecting to kind of go back to my regular life, I guess you could say, and, and, you know, put politics on the back burner, but felt that I really couldn't at that point. I, I came across a website that had a tool on it that you could look at and, and determine who represents you in Sacramento. So at the time, um, I was 37, obviously I'm a woman. So I looked at, you know, kind of used the little sliders and looked at, you know, women in their 30s um, in the California state legislature. There were two. And then I thought, well, what if I were a man and looked at men in their 30s and there were 20 of them. So wow. literally 10 times as many men as women in my own age group. I know these are the people, my peers, these are future Congress members, future governors, um, you know, and other folks um, who would eventually go on to you know, higher office and um, significant power in, in the state and in the country. And also at that time, notice that there was only one woman out of 15 members of the L.A. City Council. Um, now there are two, which is you know, somewhat of an improvement, yeah. but still, you know, a very, very small minority. Uh, there's never been a woman mayor of Los Angeles. There's never been a woman governor of California. You know, just noticing that the pipeline was full of men. You know, where are the women? It's kind of hard to have another Hillary if that glass ceiling is going to be as thick as it is, even in this bluest of blue states. So, um, you know, kind of with that in mind, and then, you know, this, this idea of a Democratic Club got the band back together from uh, the Hillary group, um, <laughs> a lot of our most uh, dedicated activists, and we decided to form a Democratic Club, a new one that's countywide, that we called the Heart of LA Democratic Club. And that actually is a nod back to the group of volunteers uh, for the Hillary campaign, which we had called the Heart of L.A. for Hillary, had grown out of uh, Congressional District 37, which is sort of central Los Angeles. And uh, we wanted it to be a bit broader than that. So that is kind of our origin story. Um, we became a Democratic club in March of 2017. So we're about three and a half years old. We currently have about 230 dues paying members from all over the county. That is the highest number of members we've ever had. We continue to grow and we continue to have influence um, kind of on the West side and then beyond that now as well. Wow. So that is, that's how we came to be. Um, Great story. And thank you. Thank you. So what we do, we do a lot of different things as a club um, throughout the year. We have a lot of programming at our meetings. You know, we do some social events and then kind of the most important thing we do is our political activism we interview and vet candidates with questionnaires and then we conduct endorsement votes at our meeting 
kind of avoids like the Thunderdome like style of environment of other clubs. Yeah. We just have a secret ballot. People vote, you know, kind of go about their business. Everyone who pays dues and is a member of the club for 56 days gets a vote. And that vote is equal to mine as the president of the club. It's very you know democratic in that regard. So I can talk a little bit about the races that we're supporting if you'd like. Or Yeah, that would know. be great. Okay, so we've made some pretty ambitious endorsements um, starting before the primary this year and then moving into the general election. Um, some of our endorsements are very well in line with what other Democratic clubs are doing and the county party. Some of them are a little bit different than that. Um, <laughs> so one of our major races is Holly Mitchell for L.A. County Supervisor. Um, I happen to live in Holly's Senate district and have known her for you know quite some time um, as have a number of our other board members and other members of the club as well and you know we, we we decided to support her early on and very strongly you know we are really pleased with her work in the state senate we know that her passion is empowering people and county level services um, she had previously led the child and family development organization crystal stairs and really is just the right person for this job and a good cultural fit with the rest of the four supervisors so we've been doing a good amount of fundraising for her, some postcarding um, back before the primary when we were all allowed to make contact with other people. We were doing canvassing for yeah. her as well. Um, and then we're also going to be running some digital advertising supporting her um, in upcoming days leading up to the vote itself. So that's one of our candidates. Okay. For uh, LA uh, County Board of Supervisors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Drummy, and you're listening to my interview with Lindsay Carlson, the president of the Heart of LA Democratic Club. You were also supporting Christy Smith, who is yes. the California Assemblywoman. Yes, I'm sure you know who yes. she is. I think probably most of the audience does here. Yeah. It's been a very high-profile race. You know, she lost narrowly to Mike Garcia in uh, May of this year. Um, it was the first major special election of the pandemic, and I think it was a real challenge to figure out how exactly to organize and reach out to voters who may not have been expecting to vote in May. Um, and then also, you know, we're dealing with some pretty significant personal challenges at the time too so i think you know the campaign i think has learned a lot from you know that previous experience and then also has had the ability to really ramp up going into the general election we're feeling pretty good about this and we're really working alongside the party at all levels to take this seat back in november it's a major priority of the la county party as well as the state party as well yeah i'm hoping to speak with christy pretty soon oh yeah well that, that should be a good interview she's great yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and there are several other um, members of Congress who are fighting for their seat who were right. Yeah, elected not too not too long ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's such good candidates that, you know, a few of them actually, um, you know, I know Mike Levin and Katie Porter are in pretty good positions, actually. I think even Gil Cisneros is as well. Your other guest, Harley Ruda, is, you know, a fantastic congressman. I think he just has a really super challenging district and a, you know, a tough opponent as well. So. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure you'll probably be talking with him, uh, you know, a fair amount about that. And he obviously knows a lot more his, about his own race than I do. <laughs> yeah, his opponent yeah. has raised record amount of uh, money from Republican oh, wow. donors. So that's what he's facing. Uh, Congressman Harley Ruda in Orange County. And I hope that he makes it. He's a, just a, such a brilliant man. He really is. And he's, you know, he's such a hustler as well. Like I, um, I remember 
my first convention as a California state delegate was in May of 2017. So that was a you know, good year and a half before that general election. And he went, showed up to like all the meetings. You know, I remember seeing him in the Business and Professions Caucus and in the Women's Caucus. And I was like, who is this guy who's running down in Orange County? So I followed him from a pretty early time. And I know, you know, he overcame a lot of uh, odds against him in order to win through the primary then then win the general election as well. So, you know, he's very deserving of all of our support and whatever financial, you know, support we can provide to him as well. And, and he holds nothing back. He's such a straight shooter right. and so unfiltered. I really enjoy talking to him. And you, you mentioned uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter. If, if she doesn't get reelected, which she will, you know, <laughs> she's a rock star. So I feel bad for, the, for her opponent because... <laughs> She's well, like I can't a... I can't feel too bad for, for Republican opponents these right, days. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean, though. I mean, she's, you know, she's really fantastic. And that's a district that should be a lot tougher for a Democrat to win, um, even re-election. That, but, you know, she's obviously earned every bit of, of her status in Congress and, you know, among the activist community and everybody else. Yeah. So... Um, any other ones, um, any members of Congress or Senate outside, well, within California or outside? Yeah, I mean, so we're, you know, we're, I think we're supporting most of the same candidates that pretty much everybody else is supporting as well, mm-hmm. you know, as far as members of Congress and senators, especially because, you know, it's, I mean, in any Democrat on Republican race, we're going to be pretty unified with respect to supporting Democrats. Um, I kind of want to just highlight just a few local candidates that we're supporting as well that sure. go a little bit against the grain to some extent. So we we are strong supporters of Seppi Shine for West Hollywood City Council. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think you are as well, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, she's just a wonderful person. And I, I'd stayed neutral in that race for quite some time, you know, kind of respecting my role as the president of a dem club. Um you know, but have been friends with her for um, a fair amount of time. And I think she's just, you know, a really smart person, super compassionate, you know, really great leader. And she's in this for all the right reasons. Indeed. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't live in West Hollywood, so ordinarily I wouldn't really get involved in West Hollywood politics. But I think, you know, it's really she's a compelling candidate and yeah. um, in particular being a you know part of an underrepresented group in West Hollywood politics. Um being the first woman of color that could be elected to that council. And, and if I may, lesbian. Yeah, second le- yeah, I was just going to say the mm-hmm. in West Hollywood's 36 year history, there's only been one lesbian on city council, which is sort of unbelievable, you know, and not too many women. So, right, right. You know, and Seppi is just brilliant. She's super qualified. And uh, yeah, I, totally support Seppi as well. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you've chosen not to be neutral anymore. It's really important. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had a few members of the club that have been supporting her. And to be quite honest, when she came, when that race came up for vote, uh, we, I think, had you know, something like 70, I think it was like 72 or 74 people total voting members of the club that were present for that meeting. And she got like 97% of the vote. So it was wow. really... Yeah, I mean, kind of one of our <laughs> our most strong endorsements of, of the whole batch here. But, um, you know, she's really worked for it and earned it. Fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, and then also we're supporting uh, Yasmin and Monty McMorrin for Culver City City Council. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also an interesting candidate for this race. Culver City's only had about five women on council in like the total hundred years that Culver City has been in existence. It's yeah. really remarkable. 
And she's got a lot of support from various groups that aren't always aligned with each other. She's got the L.A. County Democratic Party endorsement. She has our endorsement. She has the Culver City Democratic Club endorsement. I think that just speaks to just how strong of a candidate she is. And, you know, she's interesting, too, and different from the rest of the the folks on council in that she's a millennial. She's black. She's a single mother and she's an attorney um, who has a pretty, you know, a full time job uh, doing work for um, I believe she's at USC in sort of like the academic side of um, the law school there. Okay. So yeah, it's um, it's pretty fascinating. And I think um, she's a compelling candidate and I really hope to see that she's elected to our, our city council. And I say our, because I actually, I live in Culver City, right. so I'm a constituent as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then I think our, our kind of final two candidates that I wanted to just mention, um, just to make sure that they get a little bit of airtime here, we have uh, Nichelle Henderson that we're supporting for LA County Community College District, and uh, she's a challenger, actually, that has been endorsed by the LACDP and several other organizations in addition to our Dem Club. Um, she's a Cal State uh, Los Angeles academic faculty advisor and teacher, former middle school teacher. And pretty interestingly, too, the the community college district has seven members, and of those seven people, none of them are black. And we're a club that believes that representation is important and, you know, that black students should have a voice on the board. And so that's that's been another kind of compelling reason to support Nichelle for that particular position. Makes sense. And then, yeah, the final one is uh, we recently endorsed Nithya Raman for L.A. City Council District 4. Um, She's also an interesting candidate, too, in that she's not um, really a politician. She got into that race kind of late. She's a community organizer as a founder of uh, CELA. It's a coalition to support um, the community of people that are experiencing homelessness. And she had a really strong showing in March, got 41 percent of the vote against incumbent David Rue. So that forced a runoff in November. We think, you know, she's really just a, a great candidate. She's been consistently progressive throughout her campaign and it's a really good fit for the values of the constituents of that district, um, especially on issues relating to the environment. And then, as I mentioned, um, homelessness as well. So, yeah, we've been pretty we have a pretty great slate of candidates this yeah. year that we're supporting. <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty excited about it. Very impressive. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Lindsay Carlson, the president of the Heart of LA Democratic Club. I'll ask you at the end also, but just for now, will you uh, let the listeners know your URL, your website, so people can go and get involved, donate, volunteer? Sure, yeah. So it is www.heartladems.org. It's H-E-A-R-T-L-A dems.org. Fantastic. Uh, so I want to ask you about the President Trump's pick or nominee for the Supreme Court replacing, I shouldn't say replacing because no one can replace uh, Justice Ginsburg, but um, to fill her seat. You know, she's, um, she's already, you know, we, we have a record of her not being really too good on women's rights, uh, LGBT rights, and uh, uh, for women to have the right to their own bodies and their reproductive system. How do you feel about her and just the whole nomination? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so Amy Coney Barrett was the front runner kind of all along to take the seat that Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, vacated by her passing. I was a little bit surprised, to be quite honest, that Trump actually did nominate her because I think there are other candidates that 
could have been more palatable to the American public in general. I mean, I, I had spoken up pretty early about this. I thought he would nominate Barbara Lagoa, who's an 11th Circuit justice down in Florida, Cuban-American, Latina. Mm-hmm. She's from a state that Trump has to win. She got confirmed like 85 to 10 or something like that. So there's substantial support from the Democrats. But Coney Barrett, on the other hand, um, only kind of narrowly snuck by in her confirmation hearing a few years ago. Uh, and I think that she's always been a bit of a lightning rod for Democrats and for progressives. One thing I really want to caution against is kind of going down the path of looking at her personal life and her personal religious views and kind of, you know, the religious sect that she's a part of in Catholicism is um, kind of considered extreme and, and maybe even not all that Catholic. And people have been making reference to Handmaid's Tale and you know things of that nature. I think that that's a bit of a trap for us. And we need to not focus on her personal qualities and sure. focus much more on her um her record her record yes exactly things that she said as a judge there's not a whole lot because most of the stuff that comes up to a circuit court judge is not going to be all that controversial all that political to be quite honest so there's not much in the three years that she has been on the bench that we can point to but there are a lot of other statements that she's made um over time particularly with respect to the affordable care act um prior to taking the bench she wrote, I believe, in a law review article that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts was wrong to uphold the Affordable Care Act. And she's viewed quite broadly among the conservative legal community that she'll as a reliable vote to overturn it. So, you know, something like that, and especially in the middle of a global pandemic like this, you know, causing millions of Americans to lose their health care coverage, that would be devastating to people. And I think, you know, you're right, obviously, about her record on LGBTQ issues and women's issues, too. Um, she's been very vocally anti Roe v. Wade. Um, and I think also as a a lawyer and a feminist, um, I, I really it's important to me to note that just because someone's a woman <laughs> doesn't mean that she's a feminist. Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Feminism is an ideology. It's not a, a brand or an immutable trait. You know, you become a feminist through your actions and, and not through just by virtue of the fact that you happen to be. Don't get me started on you know. um, LGBTQ <laughs> Republicans. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, that's, a, that's an interesting group of folks. <laughs> people always make an assumption that all uh, all queer people are Democrats, and I always say, nope, they're not, and they're not necessarily in middle America. There's some here, too. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that um, uh, Peter Thiel is a mm-hmm. yeah. great example yeah. <laughs> of that. Um, it's Barry, a tech guy who happens to be pretty Trumpy and yeah. white supremacist. So, yeah, spoke yeah. at his convention. At his uh, at the convention in 2016, yes, the I remember Republican that convention. Yeah, was, I think it was like the first speaker or something like that. Right. Hopefully, I'm, I think hopefully we will be able to defeat Lindsey Graham. Um, yes. With Jamie Harrison, uh, Susan Collins, who voted to confirm Kavanaugh, uh, another very sad chapter. I hope that yes. uh, Sarah Gideon. Um, defeats her, and then there are some other um, Senate races that are that could be toss up. I mean, they could they could turn. We have Arizona, we have uh, Montana, uh, South well North Carolina as well as South Carolina. Yeah, there's there's a lot happening. I think I'm cautiously optimistic that perhaps we'll be able to keep the House, flip the Senate, get the White House. 
and the whole Senate thing, I have no clue what's going to happen. Are, are you speaking of um, how, how you think we're going to win in the Senate? I mean, well, like if, if we're going to win? I think that we have a really good chance. I'm always cautiously optimistic because I know that Republicans can pull anything right. last minute. So I don't, I always anticipate a last minute uh, surprise there. But um, I am optimistic that we're going to go blue for both House and Senate. Uh, and uh, hopefully Vice President Joe Biden will win with a wide margin so that um, uh, Trump, as he's been allu- not alluding to, basically saying he's going to want to invalidate the vote. And the only thing concerning, I mean, really concerning is, this, is the Supreme Court and the fact that, you know, nine states have already started voting and we are 37 days away from the election. President Obama was prevented from confirming a, a Supreme Court justice when he had almost eight months left to his presidency, when McConnell and Graham said it's an election year, and yet Republicans are rushing to confirm a justice this close to the election. And um, I, I don't have any indicators as to how it's going to go, if they're going to be able to stop that. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here. And I, I think I, I still hold a little bit of optimism. I was actually on a call yesterday with some progressive uh, legal strategists that have been working in, in the Supreme Court space for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the sort of short of it with respect to the the strategy with res- in, in the Senate, one thing they did mention is that the S- Senate Democrats this time are really unified on the response. You even have somebody kind of as moderate, I guess you could say, or, or conservative as Joe Manchin, who right. they're all opposing this nomination this time. So the, the nice thing for the progressive legal community and, and those folks who work with the senators on judicial nominations is that they don't really have people that they have to convince to do the right thing, which, if you can believe it or not, back in the Kavanaugh days, you know, they had to actually sit down and talk to Claire McCaskill and right. Joe Donnelly and a few of the others, um, you know, who were, who were running and trying to keep their seats in the Senate um, and try to get Democrats to vote against Kavanaugh. Now it's kind of, you know, I think we have was it like 53 Republicans in the Senate. So if four right. of them decide not to confirm her, we're good. But, you know, as of right now, it, it doesn't necessarily look like we have that. But never say never. Right. I mean, we all thought yeah. the ACA was going to be, you know, overturned uh in the Senate um, several years ago here uh, and, you know, John McCain and yeah. Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski did the right thing. So, yeah. you know, so we don't really know for sure. I think that the unfortunate thing about that though, is it doesn't seem that there are really any magical solutions and there are 53 Republicans. And if they do stay unified on this, there will be a new Supreme court justice. So hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Lindsay, uh, before we go, I just want to um, ask you if there's anything that, I missed or, or just failed to bring up anything else that you want to add or just a call to action uh, for those who are listening. Yeah, do whatever you can to be involved in the ways that you feel like you can be involved at this point, right? I mean, you know, some people have a lot of personal demands in their lives and don't have a whole lot of spare time. If you can spare a few dollars, kick it over to a Senate campaign or one of these House races, that is very much appreciated. If you are somebody who can text or write, you know, make phone calls, there are so many opportunities to do that. Um, you can actually find out some of them through our, our website as well. Um, and I'll just give you that again, just so you have Please. it. It's w- <laughs> www.heartladems.org. 
Um, you can find some ways to get involved there. Um, and then also, you know, any if you do have a legal background or if it is something that's of interest to you, the campaign is really looking for people to work voter protection, especially in these battleground states. The nearest ones would be Arizona and Nevada. If you can drive in for a day or two, kind of stand socially distanced from other people and make sure that everyone's rights are being protected and, and no one's yeah. trying to interfere with their ability to vote. That is that is super helpful. So um, there are lots of ways in getting involved in that. Um, I think I can probably give you the website as well. Uh, sure. You can find it through Joe Biden. I think it's um, joebiden.com backslash voter protection. And, you know, if you fill out the form there, somebody will get in touch with you. Probably several somebodies will get in touch with you. Um, they're making a lot of recruitment phone calls right now. Good listening, attorneys. We need your help. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and, and the, the nice thing about it this time around, too, is you don't have to be a legal professional in order to do voter protection. It's definitely encouraged uh, just because of the, the skill set that lawyers and um, law students bring to the table. But um, they're really looking for help from everybody. Fantastic. Uh, Lindsay, thank you very much. You touched on some really important points and a um, lot, of, lot of great information for us. And yeah, we, uh, we have uh, a lot more work to do in the next uh, five months. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it too. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was attorney and the president of the Heart of LA Democratic Club, Lindsay Carlson. Thank you, Lindsay, for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time and insight. The Blunt Post with Vic. Today's quote is from Senator Frank Pallone in regards to the recent attacks by Azerbaijan and Turkey on Armenia and Artsakh. Senator Pallone tweeted, I condemn the belligerent display of Azeri and Turkish aggression in Artsakh. I strongly encourage the State Department to help de-escalate this dangerous situation and hold the aggressors, Azerbaijan and Turkey, accountable for their destabilizing actions. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.